Section three of A Dog of Flanders. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. A Dog of Flanders by Oida. Section three. There was only one thing which caused Patrasche any uneasiness in his life, and it was this. Antwerp, as all the world knows, is full at every turn of old piles of stones, dark and ancient and majestic, standing in crooked courts, jammed against gateways and taverns, rising by the water's edge, with bells ringing above them in the air, and ever and again out of their arched doors a swell of music pealing. There they remain, the grand old sanctuaries of the past, shut in amidst the squalor, the hurry, the crowds, the unloveliness, and the commerce of the modern world. And all day long the clouds drift and the birds circle and the winds sigh around them, and beneath the earth at their feet there sleeps Rubens. And the greatness of the mighty master still rests upon Antwerp, and wherever we turn in its narrow streets his glory lies therein, so that all mean things are thereby transfigured. And as we pace slowly through the winding ways, and by the edge of the stagnant water, and through the noisome courts, his spirit abides with us, and the heroic beauty of his visions is about us and the stones that once felt his footsteps and bore his shadow seemed to arise and speak of him with living voices. For the city, which is the tomb of Rubens, still lives to us through him and him alone. It is so quiet there by that great white sepulchre, so quiet save only when the organ peals and the choir cries aloud the Sav Regina or the Kyrie Elison. Sure, no artist ever had a greater gravestone than that pure marble sanctuary gives to him in the heart of his birthplace, in the chancel of St. Jacques. Without Rubens, what were Antwerp? A dirty, dusky, bustling mart, which no man would ever care to look upon, save the traders who do business on its wharves. With Rubens, to the whole world of men is a sacred name, a sacred soil, a Bethlehem where a god of art saw light, a Golgotha where a god of art lies dead. O oh, nations, closely should you treasure your great men, for by them alone will the future know of you. Flanders in her generations has been wise. In his life she glorified this greatest of her sons, and in his death she magnifies his name. But her wisdom is very rare. Now the trouble of Patrach was this. Into these great sad piles of stones that reared their melancholy majesty above the crowded roofs, the child Nello would many and many a time enter, and disappear through their dark arched portals, while Patrach, left without upon the pavement, 
would wearily and vainly ponder on what could be the charm which thus allured from him his inseparable and beloved companion. Once or twice he did essay to see for himself, clattering up the steps with his milk-cart behind him. But thereon he had always been sent back again summarily by a tall custodian in black clothes and silver chains of office. And fearful of bringing his little master into trouble, he desisted and remained couched patiently before the churches until such time as the boy reappeared. It was not the fact of his going into them which disturbed Patrach. He knew that people went to church. All the village went to the small, tumble-down, gray pile opposite the red windmill. What troubled him was that little Nello always looked strangely when he came out, always very flushed or very pale, and whenever he returned home after such visitations would sit silent and dreaming, not caring to play, but gazing out at the evening skies beyond the line of the canal, very subdued and almost sad. What was it? wondered Patrach. He thought it could not be good or natural for the little lad to be so grave, and in his dumb fashion he tried all he could to keep Nello by him in the sunny fields or in the busy marketplace but to the churches Nello would go. Most often of all would he go to the great cathedral, and Patrach, left without on the stones by the iron fragments of Quentin Matzis's gate, would stretch himself and yawn and sigh and even howl now and then, all in vain, until the doors closed and the child perforce came forth again and winding his arms about the dog's neck, would kiss him on his broad, tawny-colored forehead, and murmur always the same words, "'If I could only see them, Patrach, if I could only see them!' "'What were they?' pondered Patrach, looking up with large, wistful, sympathetic eyes. One day, when the custodian was out of the way and the doors left ajar, he got in for a moment after his little friend and saw. They were two great covered pictures on either side of the choir. Nello was kneeling, wrapped as in an ecstasy, before the altar picture of the Assumption. And when he noticed Patrach and rose and drew the dog gently out into the air, his face was wet with tears and he looked up at the veiled places as he passed them, and murmured to his companion, "'It is so terrible not to see them, Patrach, just because one is poor and cannot pay. He never meant that the poor should not see them when he painted them, I am sure. He would have had us see them any day, every day, that I am sure. And they keep them shrouded there, shrouded in the dark, the beautiful things. And they never feel the light, and no eyes look on them, unless rich people come and pay. If I could only see them, 
I would be content to die. But he could not see them, and Patrach could not help him. For to gain the silver piece that the church exacts as the price for looking on the glories of the elevation of the cross and the descent of the cross was a thing as utterly beyond the powers of either of them as it would have been to scale the heights of the cathedral spire. They had never so much as a sou to spare. If they cleared enough to get a little wood for the stove, a little broth for the pot, it was the utmost they could do. And yet the heart of the child was set in sore and endless longing upon beholding the greatness of the two veiled Rubens. The whole soul of the little Ardennois thrilled and stirred with an absorbing passion for art. Going on his ways through the old city in the early days before the sun or the people had risen, Nello, who looked only a little peasant boy, with a great dog drawing milk to sell from door to door, was in a heaven of dreams whereof Rubens was the god. Nello, cold and hungry, with stockingless feet in wooden shoes, and the winter winds blowing among his curls and lifting his poor thin garments, was in a rapture of meditation wherein all that he saw was the beautiful fair face of the Mary of the Assumption, with the waves of her golden hair lying upon her shoulders, and the light of an eternal sun shining down upon her brow. Nello, reared in poverty, and buffeted by fortune, and untaught in letters, and unheeded by men, had the compensation, or the curse, which is called genius. No one knew it. He as little as any. No one knew it. Only, indeed, Patrach, who, being with him always, saw him draw with chalk upon the stones any and everything that grew or breathed, heard him on his little bed of hay murmur all manner of timid, pathetic prayers to the spirit of the great master, watched his gaze darken and his face radiate at the evening glow of sunset or the rosy rising of the dawn, and felt many and many a time the tears of a strange, nameless pain and joy mingled together fall hotly from the bright young eyes upon his own wrinkled yellow forehead. I should go to my grave quite content if I thought, Nello, that when thou growest a man, thou couldst own this hut and the little plot of ground, and labor for thyself, and be called Bas by thy neighbors, said the old man Yehan many an hour from his bed. For to own a bit of soil, and to be called Bas, master, by the hamlet round, is to have achieved the highest ideal of a Flemish peasant. And the old soldier, who had wandered over all the earth in his youth, and had brought nothing back, deemed in his old age that to live and die on one spot in contented humility was the fairest fate he could desire for his darling. But Nello said nothing. 
the same leaven was working in him that in other times begat Rubens and Jordans and the Van Eycks and all their wondrous tribe, and in times more recent begat in the green country of the Ardennes, where the Meuse washes the old walls of Dijon, the great artist of the Patroclus, whose genius is too near us for us a right to measure its divinity. Nello dreamed of other things in the future than of tilling the little rood of earth, and living under the wattle roof, and being called boss by neighbors a little poorer or a little less poor than himself. The cathedral spire, where it rose beyond the fields in the ruddy evening skies, or in the dim, gray, misty mornings, said other things to him than this. But these he told only to Patrach, whispering, childlike, his fancies in the dog's ear when they went together at their work through the fogs of the daybreak, or lay together at their rest among the rustling rushes by the water's side. For such dreams are not easily shaped into speech, to awake the slow sympathies of human auditors. And they would only have sorely perplexed and troubled the poor old man bedridden in his corner, who, for his part, whenever he had trodden the streets of Antwerp, had thought the daub of blue and red that they call a Madonna on the walls of the wine-shop, where he drank his sous' worth of black beer, quite as good as any of the famous altarpieces for which the stranger folk traveled far and wide into Flanders from every land on which the good sun shone. End of section 3 Recording by Roger Moline